Welcome to an intro outro with terrible sound quality because I'm doing it with all my fans on because it's hot and my window's open because the sun just went down and I'm trying to make everything cooler so you will hear garage doors opening outside. Uh, also, I'm eating broccoli, although I'll try not to crunch it exactly when I'm talking. I am eating a bag of chips in this episode. We talk about it. I listen, and I know it's going to sound like I'm crunching on them through the whole thing. You have to know, I edited out about 75% of the crunch noises, but I left in the ones that I, one, thought were funny, or two, zoned out while I was editing and didn't register. <laughs> we're a professional podcast. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder premiered this week, so congratulations to Taika Waititi, and congrats to this cool person I know, Erica Ishii, who got to host the red carpet. What? This episode was slightly less cool than that, but we're still gonna have a bunch of fun, so grab a drink, grab a snack, listen to the ghost train outside my window, and enjoy this episode of Our Flag Means Death. Take it away, theme song. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Air Flag Means Death. The best revenge is dressing well. Should I do the whole podcast? I think you should. I think that's perfect. It uh, sounds like it will be a very easy and not hard to understand at all. Not in the least. That was not. <laughs> what were you doing? I am ready (laughs) on this week's episode. Ed and Steed start to teach one another about their respective lives, but I think both learn a little more than they anticipated. Directed by Fernando Frias and written by John Mahoney. Mahoney. Well done, John. This was a great episode. And I really love, and we'll get into it, Emily, when we start talking about the episode, but I love the creative camera lighting and lens direction that fernando put in this episode great (gasps) emily uh first general thoughts what did you think about this episode it was a lot bloodier than any of the other episodes (laughs) and it was adorable the the carving on the the carving the i mean how that's got to be hazard pay, right? If they have to carve that into somebody's chest. Okay, well, uh, you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> you'll be pleased to know that is not CG. That is a prosthetic chest that was made and applied onto an actor. It looked very real. Good job, prop people. <laughs> I'm very impressed. 
I will say before we get into the podcast, this is my least favorite episode of the season. Oh. Mostly because I hate the French people on the ship so much. I mean, you're not supposed to like them. But I just, I hate the party people. (laughs) (laughs) But I love. Oh, go ahead. I love the scene in the moonlight at the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm gonna go feral when we talk about that. I really like this episode. It's not, I don't think it's my favorite episode. I think my favorite episode Mm -hmm. so far has been the one with Jim and Spanish Jackie and and all of that. But I really loved the just absolute contrast between the pirate ship and these people. And... I mean, I know this is the whole point, but the contrast between being a pirate and being a passive aggressive rich person that, you know, Fancy oh, man. you embezzled, that's super grubby. Everyone just inherits <laughs> nowadays. Like, I loved the characterization of that. I didn't know people still embezzled. Oh, grubby. <laughs> Nick Kroll, great actor. Mm-hmm. I hate so many characters that he is. Whenever Nick Kroll shows up in something, I'm like, I'm not going to like this episode. <laughs> I don't like him in this. I don't like his character in What We Do in the Shadows. I don't like his character in... I'm pretty sure he shows up in Parks and Recreation. No way. He does. He's no, one Brooklyn of the terrible. He's one of the terrible DJs. Oh, yeah. And yes, I hate that character. And I hate him <laughs> in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Why do you play such horrible people? Because you're good at it. Listen, do what you're good at. And I, I normally love Kristen Schaal and things, but obviously Antoinette, they're supposed to be unlikable, right? That's mm-hmm. the point. But let's uh, let's jump to the beginning and let's talk through this episode because first is not the party. First, the pirates are going to teach the crew of the revenge. I love this. Yeah, he's like pointing out like... Okay, so one of the things he points out is, take a look at the ship, notice the distinct lack of cannons, that means it's going to be easier to board. Like, he's pointing out things that are very important to their way of life, things that you absolutely have to know, Yeah, and he's doing it in a very, he's teaching them well. He's not screaming at them. He's being a very good instructor. He is taking this seriously. And I almost wonder if he feels like, as Blackbeard, he has a duty to make sure all pirates are good pirates. Well, um, this is this is following up on the deal that he and Steed made in the last episode. Mm-hmm. I guess he really is just teaching Steed then, but like yeah. all the pirates are in the boat with them. So mm-hmm. I, and they're, I don't know. We haven't really been able to see them be piratey yet. They might be amazing. Right, but the only... I feel like he's also teaching them. <laughs> the only quote unquote real piracy we've seen is Steed getting that plant in the pilot. <laughs> We're seeing some character growth in Steed here already. Because if you remember in the pilot when his uh, pirates were getting ready to do a raid, he was getting sickened by the very thought of the violence. Um, And now he's at a point where he's like, oh, this is interesting. This is fun. This is part of my life that I'm into. I feel like, again, this is part of the fairy tale feel that like the violence Mm -hmm. we're watching is so over the top and it's meant to be comical. Like, look at that man on fire. Ha 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 ha. That somebody gets their whole arm chopped off. Yeah. 
it doesn't feel like real violence. You know what I mean? Because it's played for a comedic bit. Because we've got Steed in the middle of it. Look at this! Isn't this terrifying? <laughs> Not the gusto, Lucius! The what? The gusto! Oh, poor Lucius. Poor Lucius. He just wants... I don't know what he wants. I don't think it's to be a pirate. Uh-huh. But I I don't know why he's on a pirate ship. Well, Steed obviously hired him for his handwriting. That's true. So they've been doing this for a few days already. Maybe like a bit, bit under a week. <laughs> you, Emily, you freaked out when Ivan was demonstrating. On- oh, oh, stop. Don't even say it. I have to tell our podcast listeners. Okay. Uh, Ivan demonstrating how to take gold teeth out of a corpse. The body's already dead, Emily. It's not going to feel the tooth stuff. I don't care. I don't care. I had to endure it. So, boo. Endure? It's like 15 (laughs) frames. Did you not hear me yell and scream and go, no! So you yell and scream and cover your eyes. And then I had to be like, it's it's over. It's done. (laughs) Um, My favorite facial expression in this episode is when uh, Blackbeard is talking to Steed about that's not how you loot books. Uh, Because, Emily, what is Steed doing with the books he finds on board the vessel? He's exchanging them for ones that he's already read. He's like doing his own library exchange program. (laughs) So there's a moment where Blackbeard grabs the book out of Steed's hand and throws it away and Reese's face when he's like, he's just shocked that that's a book. You just threw a book. (laughs) Blackbeard smacks all the books over Lucius' hand. So Steed is not Listen, he's really interested, and I think he's having a fun time, but it's clear that he's not getting it, as demonstrated by when he's trying to interrogate the captain of the ship they took over, and the guy's like, "Mm, no, not listening to anything he's saying. And so Blackbeard has to step in and demonstrate. And it's funny that they're both giving the same level of effort in both teaching and learning each other's specialties that like the interrogation is treated just as matter of factly as this walking through what cutlery to use at dinner in a moment. (laughs) Um, They have raided, I guess the, the ship that they're on is a French ship and they've, they've laid everything out and, and, I love, like, I think that's really a really great point, what you said, that they're both taking it very seriously, you know, not just, uh, how come you don't already know this sort of a thing, yeah. but they're eager to learn, and you can just see Blackbeard start to get a little overwhelmed, even just, like, going through all these fancy, fancy things. <gasps> Madam. What? I just remembered what did you remember? You and I went to a really fancy restaurant oh, no. one time. We did. <laughs> the most expensive restaurant I've ever been to. Uh, I had gotten a fancier job. Like, I just moved up several, let's say, ranks in the world of storyboarding. I'd gone from being a storyboard revisionist to being a movie storyboard artist, which was very cool and very exciting. And so I took Emily and I... We went, listen, now I'm going to say the next few words and a bunch of you are going to tune out because you're like, that's not fancy. <laughs> but I took Emily to the most expensive restaurant in Disney World. Because <laughs> we were down there for 
What, the marathon a weekend? Rate. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, no, we were down there for Princess Week, the Princess Half Marathon. So it was, yeah. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this place is like $300 a plate. It's in one of the resort hotels and they only allow like 12 people in to dine per night. So it's kind of fancy. And I knew, big deal. I knew how to use the fancy cutlery. You start at the outside and work your way in. Anyone who's read a etiquette book would know that. But uh, I didn't do anything that anyone in the restaurant would have noticed as odd or out of place. <laughs> because I double you're checked. too polite to say anything. Nope, I double checked to make sure no one was watching. <laughs> Evelyn, Ugh. what did I do that embarrassed you so badly oh for gosh. no reason? Because no one saw for me. No- and therefore, you had no reason to be embarrassed. So instead of a salt shaker, they had a little salt bowl, I guess. Yeah. With a little silver spoon in it. But the, the container was actually, it looked like Himalayan rock. Yeah. Rock salt. It, it looked like a pink crystal dish. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, I wonder if that's actual rock salt. Like, that, that's kind of cool, I guess. Like, that's, that's a neat a neat touch. And Megan, I just saw it in her eyes. It's, it's about I the science. I knew exactly what Listen. was going to happen the minute I said something, <laughs> and I regret it to this day. A good scientist, you come up with a hypothesis, I think it really is salt, and then you have to come up with a way to test it. I didn't want to chip it with my knife or fork or other utensils because what if, you know, if it is made of salt, what if I end up breaking it? So I need... A form of experimentation to test my hypothesis. And Emily, the quickest and fastest way is just to... Was to ask the maitre d'. <laughs> they weren't going to be back at our table for another three minutes. I had to know immediately. I had to know now. Listeners, I looked around the room. I made sure of the own of the other ten people dining were looking at us. I picked up the little salt dish. I very carefully licked the bottom of it and I placed it back down. And I confidently said to Emily, it's made of salt. And then she says, I'm never going anywhere with you again. (laughs) One of us has anxiety. Can you guess which one? (laughs) (laughs) We did have a good time, but that is like... Like seared into my memory this restaurant had a dress code we had to come in fancy fancy and (laughs) oh do you take magic bands (laughs) (laughs) i liked it i'd like to go back they had that duck and little mandarin orange thing that was great and i i think i paid for us to try some of the wagyu beef right you got it, and then okay. you let me taste it. It was very good. It was very good. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. And do you know what? The salt dish was delicious, too. I like salt. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. I, I remember, though, because I hadn't read any etiquette books, and I didn't know if you had to work your way out <laughs> to the side, like in and out, or out and in. And so I I empathize very strongly with Blackbeard in this scene because... This is so far out of his wheelhouse. I loved it. I loved putting this guy in a situation that he's like, it's not a life or death situation. If he uses the wrong thing, it's okay. Yeah. Like, it's just the rules of society. But but to him, he's like, this is very important. 
important that mm-hmm. I know this. And you can see him start to get a little overwhelmed because there are so many options. There's all the ones off to the side. There's all the ones on the plate. And then there's additional silverware at the top of the plate. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I thought it was a great scene. I think this episode, okay, so we've had a lot of great setup and payoff in long form with, like, the introduction of Blackbeard. And there have been, like, smaller things set up and paid off within each episode. Um, But I think this episode is where that starts to happen really tight and really cleanly in each. So we have this scene near the beginning about what are the proper utensils to use. And that ends up being a big scene later on in the episode. And then we have the introduction of this piece of fabric and what it means to blackbeard and that it represents his exclusion from oh wait emily what do you think the red piece of silk represents to blackbeard (laughs) well i think it might mean that it's the exclusion of society and that's what it symbolizes to him i'm so sorry okay before my bit what did you what did you think about the red silk stuff I loved it. I love the way they shot the scene because it's a it's a piece of silk he has as a young boy that I guess his mom has brought down from the house she works at. But it is the only piece of color in this scene. Everything is very brown, gray, dull, black, gray, uh-huh. all that stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but it also reminded me of the scene where I think it's the previous episode mm-hmm. where he picks up the cashmere and he's he's touching it so he's making these connections uh-huh and when he picks up the cashmere he says is this silk because that's the only fancy thing he knows is he's like okay fancy fabric is silk oh. and then steed yeah. says oh it's a rather exquisite cashmere and then he repeats that exact phrase that mm-hmm. in a way that almost like indicates that oh yeah the the name the proper noun is rather exquisite cashmere <laughs> um but yeah i think he knows more something i really love in this scene the the silverware scene is it demonstrates that this isn't the first time we've gone through this or talked about this because there's a bit where steed is like remember dining is and then blackbeard goes pageantry he's like pageantry so like this is you know oh we're not just eating we're dining <laughs> <laughs> And part of this scene is the owner of said silverware is is trussed up and lying on the floor and makes a rather cutting remark. This Go, episode yes. continues the pattern in the show that as soon as someone says something racist, something hellacious happens to them. Like instantly. There's <laughs> and we'll see it on the French ship later. That there's no hesitation in the narrative to punish that kind of behavior. But yeah. It's really great. Um, But he kind of says like, oh, I'm sorry. We weren't expecting your kind or something like that. I Mm -hmm. can't, I can't remember the exact thing. And Blackbeard gets, okay. So in polite society, Steed later explains this. In polite society, you say cutting things to one another and that's your form of fighting. But when Blackbeard is told this thing, he immediately goes full pirate mode and is like, okay, we're going to skin you alive and then throw you overboard and we're going to use the escargot fork. Like, like it's, it's very gruesome. Yeah. Um, I, I just love the, 
Why are you eating chips on the podcast? You're talking. I'm going to, okay. I'm editing. I'm editing so You're I can eat as much okay. as I want because it'll be my consequences <laughs> later. Okay. Let me have a chip. I need to replenish my I'm salt sorry. from all the sweating I've been doing. Oh, oh yeah. went on a race. I ran a half marathon. It was miserable. It was my worst time ever. Very poorly organized event in the hills of Griffith Park. Took me four hours, and they closed all the water stations early, so I didn't have any water for the back half of the race. I could have died. I almost, listen, I almost (laughs) walked out of the park to the road so I could have called a lift to come and pick me up, but I was like, (laughs) no, if I don't go to the finish line, I don't get a medal, and I wanted to wear my medal to the Ren Fair. So, team, I'm double exhausted because I ran... A very poor half marathon in the morning. Oh my gosh, we also started like a half hour late. So we were all in the heat of the day. And there were no mile markers. And every volunteer I asked, like, how far are we? They all said something different. It was very frustrating. Um, But I got a medal and I wore my medal to the Ren Fair. Like a queen! (laughs) And now I'm eating chips with salt to replenish all my (laughs) electrolytes. I have run one half marathon and it was in the mountains of utah and you start clear up in the mountains and you run all the way down but this oh my gosh i hated it so much the last mile and a half was all uphill and it got to the point where i did not have enough potassium in my body so my legs were cramping up really bad And I had that same experience of, I'm by a road, I have my phone, I can just call my roommate and she will come pick me up and I don't have to do this anymore. I ended up walking backwards up the hill because (laughs) my legs wouldn't go forward, but the muscles that I hadn't used in what going backwards were what got me to the finish line. (laughs) Look at us. Slow yet persistent. (laughs) I am not fast, in the words of Baymax. <laughs> My persistence made me view it. Okay. Um, I just want to run a race that's all flat. I don't do hills. I just want a flat race. Is that too much to ask? Apparently. Listen, that's why running races in Florida is so great. Because everyone's like, oh my gosh, there's a huge hill. And it's like a freeway on-ramp. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a hill. And here's us training in Utah in the altitude. And then you get to Florida and there's so much air to breathe. Anyways, I'm so sorry. I tangented us. No, that's that's all right. Okay, so. I had something I wanted to say about the dining scene. Oh, uh, fun trivia fact is Ed screams, do you know who I am? Do you know where I'm from? Emily, do you know where uh the believed birthplace of blackbeard is from no it from the show it looked like it was like an england puritan type place is he american he is not american okay so blackbeard it is claimed that he was born in bristol and we had a sister who lived in bristol for a while and she's actually seen the black, the, she's actually seen the plaque that was like, this is the birthplace of Blackbeard. So when he's like, do you know who I am? Do you know where I'm from? I'm like, Bristol. 
Oh yeah, I was very confused about that. <laughs> but you said that. <laughs> you were saying that you liked the dichotomy in this scene between Steed and Ed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Ed wants to be a part of this world so much. Like, this is so very important to him. He's not just doing it for a laugh or not just doing it because yeah. it, it's something to pass the time. It is something that he, it's, it's something that he has to do. Yeah. And we kind of get, we kind of get a little background, like we said, with um the flashbacks to his childhood in this very poor home, holding this very, very luxurious piece of fabric and his mom just saying, well, we don't get that because that's just not our life. Yeah. That's, uh, we don't, we don't get it. Yeah. God decides who gets it and we're not those people. Mm-hmm. It's sad. It's not up to them. Yeah. Don't debase yourself for a man who hasn't a single terrain on board. <laughs> You're in a house but, with a terrain. I don't have a terrain right now, but you have a soup terrain, right? The silver. You're such a peasant, Megan. <laughs> No soup tureen in your do you house? Know, do you know who I am? Do you know where That's I'm so, from? <laughs> That's so grubby. <laughs> oh, grubby. <laughs> um, but Blackbeard gets another lesson. He still has the silk. We we are we flash back to the to the ship and he still has this piece of silk he's kept. I'm assuming it's the same one, but yeah. um oh. Sorry, yes, yes. before I know we've spent forever on the dining scene, but I wanted to say <laughs> one thing, and mm-hmm. it's the effectiveness of imagined gore versus depicted. Like, okay, when Blackbeard says, skin him first, use the snail fork, I think our imaginations instantly conjure up the most horrific image for us, and I think it's much more effective than just showing it for shock. Like, you know, showing up a flayed body and someone's like, what happened to him? And it's like, oh, Blackbeard made him get skinned with the snail fork. But, you know, I caught that that chill down my spine when he's like, use the snail <laughs> fork. Maiming's different. <laughs> Love a good maim. <laughs> you can tell that this remark is still affecting him. Like, it's not just something that he can brush off. Steed can brush it off no problem because that's just the society he comes from. It's just expected that you're mean and you say cutting remarks and you're passive-aggressive about stuff. Yes, and, Meg. to be fair, maybe Steed wasn't always good at brushing these things off, but we've seen how he was bullied when he was a kid. That, mm-hmm. And even when people start being cruel to him at the party, we can see that this affects Steed still, but... Mm-hmm. You know, the way I'm sure Blackbeard could shrug off, like, being stabbed, uh, Steed (laughs) has gotten to the point where he's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's just what people say. That's just how they are. And he's been, it's been really, not easy, what I'm trying to say. It's very practiced for him to brush these things off, even though I'm sure they still hurt his feelings. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go on another tangent but just the idea of it's our podcast we can talk as long as we want (laughs) i love the idea of learning more about a subject that you don't know about because the world opens up and becomes this is one thing that i remember my high school ap lit teacher always telling us the smarter you are the funnier the world is because you get so much more and you understand things and 
you know, there's layers to everything. And, and I think Terry Pratchett is a really good example of this because the man was a genius and you can read his books and you can get a great story out of them. But also if you understand botany, you're going to get a botany joke that he throws in there. Or if you understand Shakespeare, this book you realize is just 10 times funnier because it's a parody of all the Shakespeare plays or all the Broadway plays or things like that. And I think there's value in learning about things that aren't like in your circle of influence, like stretch out, go out and and learn new things and expand your horizons. And I, I love seeing these two characters grow into something more because they're pretty cool and they're great the way they are now but stepping into a new world stepping into something that is mysterious to them and being able to master it just gives you a little boost of confidence you know yeah they expose each other to new ideas but one of the things that got looted on the ship is an invitation uh and you know, Steed's kind of like, oh, it's to a fancy party, but we don't want to go to that. And Blackbeard's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's super lame. We should go anyway. I love this scene. I love the way Taika plays it because he's very like, uh, we don't, I mean, we could go. Yeah, 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 let's go. <laughs> because Steed clearly doesn't want to go. Uh, well, He's not interested. It's not that he's afraid to go or anything, yeah. but he's just like, nah. And I... I say clearly, but that may not be, you know, he's, he's being polite about it that like, oh, well, you know, that's not for us. When I think really what he wants to say is I hate these things and they're miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's just like listing all the very boring things that happen. And you can see Blackbeard's eyes, Ed's eyes just get bigger and bigger with everything he says until he's finally like, we're going. Uh, Frenchie is dressed in a very nice suit that he has discovered on the ship. This is a, okay, I think they do a really good job in picking a couple of the crew to highlight every episode. And this is a great episode for Frenchie. Oh, Frenchie and Olu are spectacular. Mm-hmm. I love them. I love and them. I also love them. Lucius. <laughs> Lucius is the sea story in this episode. So we're getting, um, we're getting some insight into more crew relationships and how weird it is to Blackbeard's crew. And Izzy is just a killjoy about everything. So uh, Blackbeard and Lucius are starting. I think they're just starting something new, mm-hmm. which is, is cute in the galley. And then, okay. So it's, it's like how Blackbeard's crew have a very different experience than the crew of the revenge. Like you were saying, and Izzy tries to, he tries to make fun of them for being gay. And everyone in the, like, the three people in the room just, like, stare at him and everyone's so, like, visibly uncomfortable that he's almost embarrassed into stopping. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I really like that, like, they're not, they're not ashamed that he's making fun of them. It's more like, hey you are doing something colossally embarrassing right now. And I think that's what pisses Izzy off so much <laughs> that he's like, I'm going to give Lucius the worst job on the ship. But um, um, Emily, this scene has the one line that from our pre-chord, you said that you already knew from the show. I what do. is it? 
He says, oh, because he, he makes some, uh, uh, Lucius makes some remark. And Izzy goes, oh, you think you're cute? He goes, no, but I'm, what does he say? I, I, I think pass I'm it just, when he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I think I'm just so-so, but I'm going to carry myself like I'm cute. And he gives this cute little smile. I just think, I love his self-confidence. That's one thing I'm really enjoying about this show with this pirate crew is that they, whatever they are, they are confident in who they are, what they're doing, being a pirate, being, you know, whatever. I just, I love these characters who are so self-assured. Yeah. And I think it's very clear that Izzy is not self-assured in the same area. And he, okay, Emily, how... I want to say a bunch of stuff that I feel about Izzy, but I don't want to dictate what you're saying. But how do you think Izzy feels about the relationships on board? I think he thinks they're weird because on Blackbeard's ship, what I'm assuming is everything is very regimented and pirates act like this. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he's come across this pirate ship and they're pirates but they're doing everything different and he doesn't understand it and i think not understanding it makes him feel very unsure of himself and like he has to constantly get his sea legs back underneath him it's just throwing him off so hard kind of like when you read a thousand pages of (laughs) an epic brick fantasy (laughs) and then your sister goes that's not what the character looks like I'm trying to help you. <laughs> hey, everyone, listen to our Way of Kings coverage for Emily having a meltdown. <laughs> what we know about, we talked about this a bit in our in our last episode, but that there's not a lot of value put into the individual pirates on Blackbeard's crew. Like Izzy mentions, like, yeah. we lost a bunch of men doing this, and Blackbeard says, well, that's what happens. They're pirates. Mm-hmm. I would like to posit that I think Izzy is envious of the crew of the Revenge. I could see that. Because they are all both valued by their captain, and then they've got, like, relationships with each other. And we're going to, listen, spoilers, we're going to talk more about Izzy over the course of this podcast. (laughs) Um, But even in this episode, he tries to, like, foil Lucius several times by being like, uh, he he tries to shame Lucius several times, being like, I'm going to tell everyone that you were flirting with Fang. Ooh, how's your, how's, you know, Black Pete going to react to that, do you think? Oh, do you know what? I'm not going to talk about that scene before we get there. We'll get to that scene. But anyway, <laughs> like we talked about in our last episode, Izzy's trying to be the traditional scary pirate first mate. And the crew of the Revenge just, it doesn't work on them anymore. Yeah, yeah. They're not afraid of him. They... Tell him, you have no power over me. You're not my captain. And he puts them to work doing terrible chores. And they're just like, whatevs. And I'm like, oh, those guys are a lot braver than me. Because I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Because you're scary and mean. <laughs> I love the little moment at the end where Izzy's of, of the scene in the galley where Izzy's like trying to get Lucius to follow him. And he turns around to Pete and they're like, this was great. We should do this again sometime. <laughs> Izzy's like, no! poor izzy dizzy izzy but uh emily i think it goes back to that fairy tale feeling of being aboard the revenge that Mm -hmm. 
oh yeah, the the villains can bluster and everything, but nothing actually bad can happen to us on board the revenge. You know, like you like you mentioned, Lucius even says it. He's like, oh, you're not my captain. You can't do anything to me because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, poor Izzy. No power on board the revenge. Like only a mm-hmm. captain of the revenge could punish Lucius for anything. So we get to the fancy ship. They take the fancy invitation that says he's Nathaniel Thornrose. The or, Godfrey Thornrose. Uh, they crash this party all dressed up in their fanciest, fanciest attire. Blackbeard has bows in his beard. And he's like, so remember the episode with Spanish Jackie mm-hmm. where uh, Steed is kind of playing a role. He feels like he's LARPing almost. And I, I feel like this is sort of similar, but Blackbeard is taking it so seriously. Yeah. Whereas Steed in the past just kind of like, la, 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 through it all and not clocking danger, danger, danger. I love Blackbeard getting to do something that he's always wanted to do. It just, yeah. it feels like he's living out a dream of his and he's doing everything he can to fit in. Yeah. So I like that that difference between the two of them when they, yeah. Emily, what's the name and class of Blackbeard's D&D character? Oh, his name is Jeff, and he is a level five accountant. (laughs) (laughs) Frenchie's like, you know you can pick anything, right? And he's like, I like the name Jeff. And accounting sounds fancy as... (laughs) And, oh, yeah, this was one thing I was interested because remember in the first episode, when the English officers come aboard, all of the pirates of color have to pretend to be... Yeah, slaves. And slaves. And here... You've got Olu and you've got Frenchie, who are both dressed up and look amazing. And their backstory is, this is the prince, this is a prince from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we have every right to be here dressed like everybody else. Yeah. People say things because people are awful, but they people don't. People are still rude, but they have to speak to them with the polite society stuff. But they're using passive aggression. Because mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. polite society does. But I gotta tell you, can you guess what song was running through my head? <laughs> no. What was it? I am a sovereign prince of Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good movie. Frenchie is really good at this. He really is. I would think that they would be really nervous. Olu seems a little more nervous than Frenchie. He's still, he's still like going along with it and everything, but, mm-hmm. but Frenchie is really the one that like boosts Olu's self-esteem by yeah. really revving him up and being like, this is the prince and, and all these things. And Frenchie is just kind of like, I'm used to this. I guess he was in service at one point. He, yeah. he was a servant. And so he understands how this works and he understands where everyone's standing is, and he understands what to say to these people to get them to do what he wants. Yeah. Do you want to try that again without a chip in your mouth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm hungry. Listen, I don't have to edit this. You get to do whatever you want. I just really enjoy making fun of you sometimes. <laughs> You're just making more work for yourself. <laughs> Oh, I miss.
what's having you around? It's leftover Chipotle. <laughs> I love Chipotle. I love Chipotle. <laughs> Chipotle is my life. All right. Um, I stuffed way too many chips in my mouth for this joke. <laughs> and I've already drunk all my water. And eaten all the salsa. So I just have a mouthful of dry tortilla chips. (laughs) You made your bed, now lie in it. Mm -hmm. Mm. Important. Uh, Blackbeard asks, sorry, I should call him Ed. Ed asks, how do you win this encounter? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Seed pauses for a second. He's like, I haven't thought about it. And he's like, I suppose you win if everyone finds you charming. Mm-hmm. Listen, this episode feels so D&D to me, right? They feel like <laughs> D&D characters at a party and the DM is doing their best weird fantasy French accent. <laughs> everyone has the really, really pale, heavy white mm-hmm. makeup and the giant wigs and everyone's encrusted in jewels. I love and- the the um Antoinette's bodice. Yes. It's made of jewels. I mean it is yeah. it is flashy and sparkly and beautiful. So yeah, Ed has asked, how do you win this? And and Seed is telling him, Oh, maybe you tell a funny story. You know, you want people to get to like you and and Ed's kind of saying, like, well I could tell about a time that I gouged somebody's eye out and <laughs> and <clears throat> Steed is such a good teacher because he's not like, oh yeah, go do it and learn from your mistakes. He does not want Ed to be embarrassed at all because he knows how it feels. And he's really worried for his friend and wants his friend to have a good time in a place that his friend has no experience with. And Steed's just a good friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not just a good friend, but you know what I mean. So it turns out that Sir Godfrey Thornrose whom steed is impersonating has a career emily Mm -hmm. what is what is his career he's a phrenologist what do you know about did i get that right (laughs) you did what do you know about the study of phrenology they studied the they believed at one point from what i can recall that the bumps in your head could tell you a lot about a person basically it's the art of psychology but topography of the head so i actually did a report on phrenology in high school oh cool it surprise surprise like a lot of things in history has a lot of racist undertones to it because they would just declare that certain shapes of the skull would make you untrustworthy or just a bad person because there's just a lump in your skull here or if you had more prominent features they would be typically cast as undesirable like all all that sort of stuff Um, But Mm -hmm. my report specifically was about phrenologists who would try to correct people's skulls. (gasps) No! Oh, Megan, no, no, Basically taking... Did they do trepanation? Special... uh, Not not that drastic. Uh, It basically involved taking a very special hammer to the lump part of your skull that's like oh you're overly cautious and you want to be different and it's like literally taking a hammer and hammering on the skull to either raise a lump where you wanted more of a desirable uh attribute or 
indenting the skull uh, in order to do it. Oh, listen, this this is also the time period where people thought women should not ride trains because they thought it was too fast and the uterus would fall out of the body. Emily, I really love you. There were no mm-hmm. trains in the 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I meant history. But yeah, yeah, history. It's, it's that same kind of like school of thought. Steed does his very, very best, but he gets everything wrong. Well, and he only makes one guess of of where Antoinette is from, or like descended, and he guesses wrong. And you can just like, because the party was so excited to meet him at the beginning. And when he gets this one thing wrong, it's like the party turns on him almost right away. And uh, Ed just mutters something in the corner, like, ugh, I killed oppression once. And then all their attention turns to Ed. Mm-hmm. And Emily, what do you feel Steed was going through when Ed was the most popular person at the party? What were his thoughts on that? It felt like a very complex scene because it felt like there was some first some trepidation of, oh, no, they're going to turn on him. And then surprise of, oh, he's holding his own. And then maybe some jealousy of, he's really good at this, and they all like him, and I'm the idiot right now that messed everything up. And so to see that that gambit of emotion was so fascinating. This actor is so great to be able to play everything, like, all that whole, all those emotions in just one scene. And because, like, any any teacher, you want your student to succeed... But then when the student becomes the master, where do you fit in that? And it's just, it's kind of a, it's a rough line to, to walk. Mm-hmm. I think you, you nailed it you know, right away that he's, at first he's like, oh no, he's afraid that this is going to go really badly for him. And then he ends up leaving him instead of sticking by his side through the party. Like it's mm-hmm. very conspicuous in the dinner scene later, there's an empty chair next to Ed and he's mm-hmm. studied the silverware he like knows it but like the stress of the situation overwhelms him and he uses a melon fork to eat up prawn and stop me if i'm jumping too far ahead i love this is this is a very because like you said the the revenge feels like a fairy tale boat. This feels like a fairy tale boat. I almost got a very Alice in Wonderland vibe from it as well because yeah. the rules don't make sense. Like it's silverware. Eat whatever you want with a mm-hmm. with whatever fork you want. But the idea that that Ed made such an obvious mistake and now he's being ridiculed and just it's ridiculous it doesn't make any sense but he's really upset because he's not winning the game yeah um you brought up several times as we were watching the interesting camera work on the party boat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're shooting with like wider lenses and they're shooting from like a lower angle and the sides of the screen are kind of warped and it adds more to that unreality feeling of the mm-hmm. boat of this party um so while uh ed and steed are having a passive aggressive party <laughs> frenchie and olu start a scheme emily what kind of scheme it's a pyramid scheme a literal pyramid scheme they are selling shares of a pyramid 
that they've made up. <laughs> yes. And um, like you mentioned earlier that Olu's a little uncertain of it to start and Frenchie's going full steam ahead. But the farther mm-hmm. they go into the con, like the more and more this is working. And so again, this uh, fulfills the, if someone is racist to our characters, they get instantly punished by the story that mm-hmm. this guy, uh, this, you know, French asshole says some really asinine things to the both of them. And Frenchie's like, you know what? And they scam him instantly. And yeah. his manservant later uh, ends up helping out Steed and giving us all the information we need to just ruin everyone's lives. Yeah, yeah. I get, and I, f- so I'm trying also not to go on a tangent. You can, you can cut that out if you watch hey, it, but. Um, it's our podcast. We can talk as much as we want. That's true. I love the idea that all of these people on the upper level in their jewels and their royalty and everything that. They have all the power. They're the ones that that decide the fate of whatever, you know, they they're free and they, they can do whatever they want. But the real power is wielded by those with all the secrets and those that the rich people depend upon, the the French people depend upon. And I love that that's their undoing. Yeah. And something else that I want to point out is these people who who Ed initially sees as they're the highest crust. They're the fanciest of the fancy. Uh, they're not real aristocracy. Like they're on a boat in the Caribbean, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Paris. Mm-hmm. And they're all in a way also play acting at this. Mm-hmm. And this is a game to them as well. And they're all like lying about, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that Steed uncovers later that they all have secrets and embarrassing things. And they're each a part of this charade as well. Mm -hmm. So nobody here is real. Everyone's wearing a fake identity. And no one's winning the game. No one's winning the game because everyone hates everyone. So Steed Mm -hmm. was actually incorrect of, oh yeah, how do you win this? And Steed's like, I don't know. You get everyone to like you. No, they end up winning by setting the boat on fire. <laughs> oh, I do want to point out because this set is obviously not a boat. Mm-hmm. This is like a, a fancy house that they filmed this in. But Emily, did you catch how they indicated that this was supposed to feel like a boat? No. Every scene with a chandelier in it, the chandelier is swinging back and forth like they're on the water. Oh. I didn't, I didn't catch that. That's really cool. Subtle. Yeah. Um, just, just going back to Ed charming everyone. Um, he is just being himself. He has no mask. He's just, you know, when they're like, oh, sing us a song. He's like, oh, I only know shanties. And that's probably not anything that you guys would like, but it is. And he gets to be himself. And I feel like. For him, this is living the dream because mm-hmm. he doesn't have to pretend. He's not Blackbeard. He doesn't yeah. have to pretend to be this terrible, awful pirate. He just gets to be his authentic self and how good it feels. He's really happy yeah. that it's working. Everything's mm-hmm. working. Because to him, it feels like high society is accepting his authentic self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Really, they're all, like, laughing at him behind their lead makeup. (laughs) But at the very end of the episode, someone really does accept him for his authentic self. But we'll get to that when we get to that. (laughs) 
So cutting back to the sea story, Lucius has been tasked with chipping the barnacles off the bottom of the boat. <laughs> and this also had a song moment for me. <laughs> I am a moment to the world, not an answer to the earth. You can't take me and throw me away. Do you know what I'm singing? No. I'll never be what you want me to be. Because what a moment to be real. What oh, Treasure Planet. <laughs> yeah, this reminds me of Jim from Treasure Planet scraping barnacles off the ship. I love it. Obviously, Lucius does not want to do this menial labor. And so mm-hmm. he gets out of it by flirting with Fang. Yeah. I've been sketched. Fang, I, he's got like two sides to him because uh-huh. he's the very he's he's one of the tough the tough trio it's uh-huh. izzy fang and who was the third one that we meet on the island the first time around? ivan ivan like at one point izzy you know yanks on fang's beard he's like oh that hurt and and when lucius is telling him like oh i want to sketch you fang gets like kind of like oh really that would be great Giggly you know about it yeah i liked it they are getting affected by the fairy tale on board the Revenge. Mm-hmm. 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 They're stepping outside of their expected Their roles. expected roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, and so when Izzy does find them, Lucius is sketching a thing, but he's not sketching all of them. <laughs> he's just drawing his... My brain, all it's giving me is kibbles and bits, but that's not what I want <laughs> So he's drawing Fang like one of his French girls, if you catch my Titanic drift. And while this is happening, Wee John is in the room too, and Fang gives them some juicy info on Izzy, the way mm-hmm. that the manservant on board the party ship gives our party like the juicy information that they need and so again going back to the D feel of this episode uh i feel like lucius uh rolled really great on his persuasion check and now thing is just giving him what he needs to know to defeat this mini boss izzy who comes in and is just like what is happening <laughs> Oh man, Izzy is not. His very reality is unwinding underneath his feet, and he has no idea what to do about it. Yeah, and I feel like that's not a position he's in very often. He's Mm-mm. he seems like he knows everything. He's the one that keeps things running. It's very rigid because that's how yeah. you survive. If you fool around at sea, you'll probably die, mm-hmm. and so. I I almost feel bad for him because he's probably his internal danger alarm is probably just like screaming the whole time of yeah. these idiots are going to get us killed. Although it's interesting to note when we John comes in, he's like, oh, he's he's back. And Fang initially is like, Blackbeard's back. I got to get up. I got to get ready. I got to go. And they're like, no, it's that little angry guy. And he says, oh, is he? Izzy the spewer, let him look. And he <laughs> he ends up, you know, telling them the, the embarrassing story that Lucius ends up using against against Izzy later. But you know how Blackbeard says that, yeah, I don't even have to try anymore when we first met him? Uh, mm-hmm. Izzy tries so hard all the time and nobody respects him. 
And Blackbeard yeah. doesn't even have to try. And everyone's like falling over themselves to be good pirates for Blackbeard. Yeah, yeah. So I've been Steed at one of these parties before, right? Where you're just trying to find the people that you know. He's, mm-hmm. he's trying to get in on the pyramid scheme with Olu and Frenchie. <laughs> oh, I, I know them. I know them. All right, Emily, here's a question for you. So Frenchie's giving people receipts. What was Steed's journal like when Frenchie was in charge of it? It was just pictures. If Did he literally pause... draw a pyramid? Oh, my goodness. If you pause and look at the receipts he hands out, they're just mm-hmm. his sketch images. Oh, my God. Like, really goofy little stick figure drawings. <laughs> That's hilarious. So That's a fun, fun detail. Uh huh. Um, dinner. Ed is really focusing on trying to do it right, and he messes up. Mm-hmm. And I think he can sense now that the party is laughing at him, not at his jokes, mm-hmm. but they're laughing at him. He's figured out. Oh no, they're they're passive aggrandizing me. <laughs> I don't know if you have a problem with some things that we are doing. I also loved how Taika played this because, like you said, he is concentrating so hard that he's missing stuff that's going on because it doesn't come naturally to him like it does to these other people. It's something that he's still trying to learn and internalize. And so the idea of just you're focusing so hard that you miss what's going on makes me think of when you were trying to teach me how to play PlayStation. Oh my gosh. Okay, time for a story. So Emily likes Star Wars. And she doesn't play a lot of video games. But I'm like, do you know what? Uh, Jedi Fallen Order is a great video game to play. And so, So like a lot of video games, it has like a tutorial level where you're learning the things to do and what buttons to press. and, And for, you know, people who've done a ton of gaming, it's like second nature of knowing what the buttons are and where they are. Like, because like, oh, there's a light over here. Go to the light. How am I supposed to know that? Or like, where's L2? Where's R3? Like, which one's the triangle? Which one's the circle? You know, all that all that sort of stuff. And so I, I knew that Emily didn't know all that stuff when I was teaching her how to play PlayStation. <laughs> so we're going through it pretty slowly. <laughs> and I pointed out where all the buttons were before. And we'd actually, sorry if this is embarrassing to you, Emily, but... I'd actually explained where all the buttons were and I was having her practice. I'm like, where's L2? And she, you know, moved her middle finger and I'm like, where's the X? And, you know, thumb, all that sort of stuff. And so as the game's going and she's like, how how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know what's happening? What buttons to push? And I like pointed and I'm like, it says on the screen, like this is far enough into the tutorial that now you're running from enemies. And she's Mm -hmm. like, what do I push? What do I do? What do I do? And I'm like... It says on the screen right there, you jump and hit L2 to hold. And turns out, when Emily's stressed out, she loses the ability to read. She She's like, I did not even register that there were words on the screen. She was just tunnel visioned on the back of her character. And so, uh, listen, I think after you, you figured stuff out, you did enjoy playing that game, correct? I did. But it was just where, like, you could do it in your sleep. It's not even a big deal for you. And I'm, like, 
the time it takes for me to look at the screen, realize something's going on, realize I need to do this thing, and then look down at the controls and go, what control is it again? And by the time I look up, I'm dead on the screen because too much time has passed. No, you're not. We were playing on story mode. (laughs) (laughs) Which the only way to play a video game. (laughs) I love that video games have story mode. Mm Mm-hmm. And I say that as someone who usually plays the ultra hard mode. <laughs> but I like I said, I really like that's how Taika played it, where where yeah. it's it's not an it's not a an easy thing for him to do. It's something that is really like his brain power is focusing and processing and he's missing stuff. I thought mm-hmm. that was a great way to play this scene. So, um, I'm going to <clears throat> I think the next scene is a great example of setup and payoff from the beginning. Mm-hmm. When we were doing the raid on the other pirate ship, and Ed is like talking to Steed about, don't do it that way, not this way, no, that's not how a raid works. When Ed comes out and he's frustrated and he's going to load his pistol and go in there and shoot everyone, Steed actually stands up and is very forceful in like giving his orders. It's like, Ed, put that gun away. That's not how we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And he, this is like the first time Steed is deeply confident about something and Mm -hmm. i really like this scene and you know steed steed and frenchie are up on deck having a party away from the party which Mm -hmm. i've had plenty of these where like you go and you have delusions of grandeur of like i'm gonna sing popular from wicked at my friend's birthday party and everyone's gonna think what a cool eighth grader i am and then you just like (laughs) end up in a sprite with a sprite in the corner either with the host's cat or the host's mom (laughs) listen my friend's parents loved when i came to parties because i would just do the dishes (laughs) but you know you before you go to a social event you have these grand visions of how it's gonna be and then when it doesn't hurts your hurts your feelings I was great at parties as long as I had my posse of friends, but they would like go off and do other things, and I was left to my own devices. I'm like, uh, 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 uh. Mm-hmm. Although one I of us has anxiety. That, <laughs> I also love that when Ed first shows up, because when they arrived at the party, Steed says, "If you're uncomfortable, we can leave." Oh, and yeah. he comes up and he's like, I want to leave. And Steve's like, oh my gosh, did something happen? He says, yeah, 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 yeah. I used a melon spoon to eat a prawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're such dicks about spoons. <laughs> and I love how they understand that it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. Yeah. You know, I really like that. So Steve goes in and he uses passive aggression plus wisdom insight check and gaining information from people on the ship a history Um, check yeah and he ends up just destroying everyone at the party and then their rage ends up destroying the ship Mm -hmm. and they end up setting the whole ship on fire (laughs) which blackbeard had said something about a fireplace on a ship made of wood and it's it's not a fireplace that 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 sets everything on fire but i'm just like Oh, if your ship burns down, you're in big Was a ship burn up or a ship burn down? Cutting back to our sea story. This is the scene where, where Izzy confronts Lucius and is mm-hmm. like, I'm going to tell everybody about what you really are. And that's going to be the end for you. And Lucius like takes all of his power away in the moment by like saying, oh, Pete, 
I drew Fang naked. And Pete's like, haha, nice. You know, he's actually drawn all of us that way. And Izzy doesn't know what to do in this scene. And I swear, the way they filmed it, it looked like they were going to kiss. Right? Where he's just like right up in his face. And they're fighting about it. And Lucius even ends it with that flirtatious, have you ever been sketched? And Izzy, like furious, stalks away having lost the encounter. But just like, when we cut back to Khan's face, when Mm -hmm. Lucius has just said, have you ever been sketched? And it's just... It's sad. He could have played this so cartoonishly, right? He could have been the big bad villain of bluffing like, how dare you say that to me? But it's just, he's sad. Nobody, (laughs) nobody loves Izzy. Nobody's ever loved Izzy. And he thinks that Blackbeard loves him, but he doesn't. Is this going to be, is this going to be a Moash situation all over again? What? Moash? There is no Moash situation. You're projecting. I hate Izzy. Okay, how is that a Moash situation? Because you obviously like him. Okay. Maybe. And I, I don't like Moash. I actually and don't. Listen. <laughs> Izzy's. Izzy's okay. No, this is this is complex. <laughs> I don't like Izzy, but I feel bad for him. Okay. I think he, as a antagonistic force on the ship so far is a is a more complex take on this character than I would have expected, right? I I ex- he's kind of a dark horse, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Nothing. I'm just watching a show about pirates. <laughs> All right. But here's your favorite scene. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! The moonlight somewhere the- out there. Beneath the pale blue light. So, Blackbeard is alone on deck, reminiscing about how badly the party's gone. Mm-hmm. And there is a full moon. Ah. Uh, which is very funny because if you recall last episode, where they're like, oh, the full moon is tomorrow. And then Steed says, oh, several days. Uh, several days have gone by since we've done it. So, like, technically, there shouldn't be a full moon. But fairy tale logic says the moon can be here whenever it wants. <laughs> yeah. Oh, real quickly before we do this, Olu gave away all of the money they made on the scheme to all of the servants on board the ship who get away safely while the French are <laughs> just jumping into the water to swim away. And they're going to continue. They're going to continue the con. But instead of an Egyptian prince. He's a Nigerian prince like the email (laughs) scams. Okay, so Emily, the first time I saw this moonlight scene, Mm -hmm. I was going to vibrate out of my skin because I'm like, (laughs) I love the lighting in this. You even mentioned, you mentioned too, as we were watching that just... There's just one big light source, and it's very dim. This is a very, listen, I know light doesn't make discernible noise to our ears, but this is a very quietly lit scene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And since it's shot at night, they do a little bit of fairy tale logic here, because if you put a red piece of fabric underneath a blue light, it's going to show up black. 
mm-hmm. because there's literally no red wavelengths for it to reflect. That's what makes the color red. But they've color graded yes, it. Yes, so I it's knew still... that. You I didn't you... know that. <laughs> I didn't know. All right, I'm saying you're very about... smart, let's and this is really fun to listen to. <laughs> so yeah, this is one of the reasons why in animated films, nighttime can be so vividly blue. Um, but when you shine blue light onto a human actor, it makes all warm and red colors go dark or dim or gray. And so a lot of times we color grade night to be blue. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So we have pale white light or a dim white light is usually what we light it with instead of vivid blue like at night, which is one of the reasons why... I really don't like the Disney live actions because, Mm -hmm. you know, think of Aladdin's, um, the carpet ride scene in the original animated Aladdin with Mm -hmm. all of these really lush and beautiful and overly saturated colors. And then because at night in real life, there's so little light for us to see. That means there's very little color that our eyes can pick up because, you know, we, we literally need the color wavelengths that our eyes so they can interpret them. That sounded like nonsense that I said it, but listen, <laughs> I ran a marathon and went to a Ren fair. My brain's tired. Uh, <laughs> this is a long roundabout way of me saying that logically in this scene, that piece of red fabric should look black, but they it's are bright. lighting. Yeah. They're lighting for storytelling and they're not lighting for reality. And I think they did a really good job of making it the only color in the scene that pops because you brought up earlier that it's the only color in Blackbeard's life. He dresses all in black. His men all dress in, you know, black and white coordinated Hot Topic outfits. (laughs) And he and Steed's outfits for the party were also very different. And so the fact that this is a very dimly lit scene with only, you know, one or two lights in it, it's putting them on an even footing visually in this scene because he's not wearing his Blackbeard outfit and Steed's not wearing his Steedy type of outfit. They're both wearing their costumes from the night. And I want to say that this is the first time that they've been on an even footing. I'm sorry that I'm talking through this scene when the whole point of this podcast is to hear Emily's thoughts on it. So Blackbeard says uh, that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not sophisticated like them. And then Steed says, he says, I think you're very sophisticated. And he notices Blackbeard is playing with his little square. And so Steed takes it, he folds it up like it's a pocket square, and he and he puts it in Blackbeard's pocket. And I love this. He says, you wear fine things well. And and you can see on Blackbeard's face that that is not what he expected to hear out of this guy's mouth. And I love that, listen, my therapist, in therapy, I'm just learning a lot of really great things. And one of the things is treating yourself well and I love that Blackbeard is getting someone to tell him okay this sounds a name but tell him good things about himself I love this scene with 
Steed just being authentic. He's not being passive aggressive. He's not saying one thing and meaning another. He is truly honest with what he is saying here. And Blackbeard understands that and he's not quite sure how to react to that. He he scoffs. He literally scoffs at that. But I love that this is kind of the thread that maybe Blackbeard is starting to understand that things can be different and that you're not stuck in a role. And maybe I'm reading too far into it, but I thought this was a wonderfully soft, tender scene without being goofy. Yeah. Because you can have goofy, tender stuff. But this was just complete and open honesty between two people. Yeah. I just really liked it. And that Steed catches sight of the red silk at first. And he says, oh, that's really lovely. And Blackbeard tries to dismiss it. Where he's like, oh, it's tatty. It's old. And like, if we think of just this one little square of silk compared to the giant exquisite cashmere that Steed just had draped across a, a couch that Blackbeard's like, oh, this isn't anything like yours or like the fine things you have. But Steed doesn't dismiss it. He's like, oh no, old things can be wonderful too. He folds it up into a pocket square. Emily, he literally puts it over Blackbeard's heart. <laughs> I, I just, I was, I was losing it. You can ask my friend <laughs> Heidi. And not only that, but they pull to this wide shot that's really lovely where they're just silhouetted against the night sky and the shimmer of the moon on the water. And Emily, a song starts playing as Steed tucks the red square in his pocket. And I'm going to have you take a wild guess as to what song it is. It's the Genasi. Genasi. Number five. Yes. Mambo number five. Genasi number five. Genasi uh, is a type of D&D race that I believe you play in one of your games. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Which would fit great in this show, but Genasi number five. Are you being passive here. aggressive? No. I'm being, I know. I'm just being honest. <laughs> And Emily, I would like to posit to you, mm-hmm. I feel this is the moment when Blackbeard falls in love. I think this is the first time he's moving from admiring Steed to like being emotionally blown away by him. As I said, because having not seen the rest of the scene, I, I don't know that I see that as falling in love but but the idea is maybe planted that uh-huh. this could be something and he doesn't have to immediately say no because it doesn't fit my pirate persona it's mm-hmm. i'm a different person when i'm with steed and i like this person that i'm with yeah. because sometimes when you date someone or make new friends in order to fit in uh i know i'm i'm sure some of you have also experienced this experienced this but you you change who you are to fit in you like you suddenly like what they like you suddenly like to do what they do even if it's stuff that you don't have any interest in Mm -hmm. and the idea of being able to find someone that you can be truly who you are and not have to feel that you have to change or be a certain way like that's really a that's really a great thing and i feel like it's rare sometimes to to be able to find that and not just say well, in order to be accepted, I need to be this other thing or like this other thing or go do this other thing that I really don't. But in order to fit in, I'm going to do it anyway. 
And so I feel like this is this might be a point where Blackbeard is realizing I don't have to be Blackbeard. I can just be Ed. I would like to follow up with the end of this scene with two incredible fan fiction perfect things. And it's uh-huh. leaning in. Are they going to kiss? No, they pull apart at the last second. And, and, Give a little thump on yeah. the back. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's not it's not heavily indicated that this could have been a kiss, right? But it's, you know, there's this awkward moment where Ed, like, steps forward a little bit, but Steed doesn't. And so Ed, yeah. like, chickens out and says, well, good night, good night. Emily, and then as they're both walking away, what happens? <laughs> they both turn around at the same time. And like the romantic song is playing. And I just. I love this scene. I love this scene. But guess what? What? This is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't flag nice (laughs) things. (laughs) Real fast before we move to King George. Mm -hmm. The very, very tail end moment of the scene is ed reaching down to touch his pocket square yeah um and emily you should know that there are about 800 different playlists on spotify called you wear (laughs) fine things well and they all have an image of this moonlit scene as their key art um I'm so excited to get into all the artwork and everything once I've seen everything. I've started a Spotify playlist, and it's called Avoid Lighthouses. (laughs) (laughs) It's only got three songs on it right now, though. Um, One of my friends on Twitter has created uh, one of these, Our Flag Means Death playlist. Oh, do you know what? The name is slightly spoilery, because it's a symbolic thing we haven't discussed in the show yet. But, uh, Victoria, I love your playlist. It's seven and a half hours. (laughs) (laughs) And I definitely do, I definitely do listen to it. But, Emily, I'll tell you the title of that a little bit later on in the, in the show. Cool. But, cool. The stinger, the stinger scene, what's happening? Somehow, the English have got a hold of one of the pirate flags. The one with the cat with the knives in their feet. And it's covered in blood. And I love this actor that they have playing the king. He is such a fop. I just think he's he's great at this. But he's like, ew, why is it covered in blood? And they're like, because you're like, your men. These This is your men's blood. The pirates have done this to these men. And I was so confused for a minute because we get a familiar face that comes back. Batman and I'm like, back. no, you yelled. You're like, hang on. Wait, why is he Emily? Who is this actor now playing? He's playing his twin brother. <laughs> his bald twin brother. Yeah. So it is It is the same. And I feel like this brother is definitely compensating for his baldness. Because Nigel, who we already lost, was only a captain. Um, but this new twin is an Admiral Badminton. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing so much mental acrobatics trying to be like, how did this guy survive? A sword through the eye and the brain. Maybe he has a glass eye. Maybe this is six months in the Phineas future. Gage. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's a different person. So, but uh, what happens is this admiral is has sworn 
revenge on the people who killed his brother. Revenge on and the And he's going to go after, yeah, he's going to go after the cat bandits. <laughs> and everybody's in trouble because he, the king says you have the full force of the English army behind you. Like, he has authorized this man to basically use any means necessary to track these people down and i just want them to be happy and now no one's gonna be happy i am so sorry you're so mean about this you you make me watch things that hurt my heart okay well emily i would say that wraps up our discussion on season one episode five the best revenge is dressing well get it because the boat is the revenge and so it's like mm-hmm. the best people on the revenge are dressed up well for the party. Anyway, all that sort of stuff. Um, but we are now halfway through the series. So Woo! can I get a general temperature of how you're feeling about the show so far? I love it. And I'm so scared. Okay. Mark <laughs> me down as scared and horny. <laughs> <laughs> I I forgot I forgot about the English. I just figured they they were something that maybe we'd run into every once in a while on the high seas, but now we're back on land in the palace. They're the pirates are enough of a problem that they've caught the eye of the king. Yeah. And they're gonna get chased down and I'm so scared. I'm just I I just wanted something happy, Megan. It's funny, aren't Screw you? Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, next week, we are going to cover season one, episode six, The Art of... And I can already tell there's going to be a lot of noises in this episode. <laughs> but till then, I have to get back to painting. I have to get back to working on my book. And once we do, we will talk it through as a crew. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a good night. Bye. Oh, thank you again for another episode. Was the chip crunching funny? Should I have cut it all out? Tweet us. Adsys made me view it. Well, we are halfway through. Our flag means death. There is more podcast coming your way all the time. For example, this Thursday, July the 7th, Emily and I are finally starting The Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson, which is the second book in the Stormlight Archive. And then the following Tuesday, July 12th, we'll be back with another episode of Our Flag Means Death, episode 6, one of my personal favorites. And following that, on Thursday, July 14th, we continue our season 2 coverage of the 1999 Roswell television series. So much to do, so much to see. Well, I guess so much to do, so much to listen to. I hope you guys have a good week. Take care of yourselves. It's hot out there. Make sure you drink a lot of water and wear sunscreen when you go places to do things. Or just stay inside with the fans on all the time like me. I love you all very much. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'll see you on the internet. Bye. Bye.